Joshua 13. Joshua 13. All right. <clears throat> so, uh, what I've pretty much done with this is this could be our final lesson. I don't expect for us to get through the entire thing today. Uh, my expectation is to get through really the first three points, and then the second three points can be the following Sunday. Um, unless something else happens and it goes longer, or you know, we get it all finished today, but I don't think it's really going to happen. There is so much that happens between Joshua 13 and Joshua 24 that I really wanted to give appropriate time just for us to consider some of these major points. Um, but I think you guys could agree with me that Joshua 1 through 12 is just absolutely packed. I mean, packed with so much stuff. So I hope you guys are taking notes. And just as a side note as well, um, it would be really, really good for you guys to uh, really start making a, a good record of the notes that you have been given. Um, so I don't know if you've done that. I know a lot of people don't. They just kind of throw them in the front of their Bible. And then when they drop their Bible in the main service or at home, their notes just go everywhere. Um, if you've ever had that happen, you're like, I feel you. Um, but these notes are for you to hang on to and for you to look back over. And then in future weeks or years, if there's something you're like, you know what? I remember something from Joshua that you'd be able to go back and check those things out. Um, some of the classes that we even teach here, like how to study the Bible or church history or elements of that, are actually good for the adult prerequisite classes for JBI. So if you've taken those classes in here, they actually count towards being able to apply into the Bible Institute if you'd like to do that a couple years after graduating from high school. Um, you know, a great case in point is Luke Johnston. You know, he's the youngest Bible Institute student that we have right now, and it's been because he took the notes that we've had in the senior high and used those towards his JBI uh, requirement. So just keep those things in mind. I mean, um, if you have the ability to do that, or maybe you put your notes in your Bible or whatever, but these things are, are meant for you guys to have because we put a lot of time and effort into the notes so that we can have these resources. Uh, so make sure that you hang on to them. Don't just burn them, trash them, make paper airplanes, do your current art designs on them, and then just, you know, don't do anything with them ever again. Yeah? This is a throw, because I'm guilty of doing the same thing. You throw them in your Bible. And yeah. Then, but what I do is I collect them for a while, and then I uh, I keep them in my office, and then I put them in three-ring binders. If you notice, they're all usually three-hole punched. Yeah. Um, if you want to save money on three-ring binders... Typically, you can ask it, you're just a thought. You ask them at your office at school. Sometimes I've found, because they're going less and less paper at your schools, they are throwing these things away. They are throwing away perfectly good three-ring binders that you can get from your schools and organize your notes in. Yeah. And that's what I've been doing. They've been tossing them at work, and I've been taking them home. There you go. So I might have, I mean, I might even have a number of extras yep. to hand out, but i got to stack up. Yep. You know, Jamie. Also, if you don't want to keep things like binders and stuff, if you already can't afford them, there's a free app called Evernote, and you can actually take pictures and categorize them into folders and like have them electronically whenever yep. you need them. Yep. There's a bunch of apps like that, but yeah. You scan them or you can just snap a picture. Right. That's very helpful. So that way you have like the book of Joshua. Like you guys will have notes on the book of Joshua that you'll be able to go back to in the future. Um, and in the future, too, I've had a lot of students that have come back to me and said, hey, remember we did a study on whatever. Like, you know, the most recent one was uh, Landry Carneal had an opportunity to witness to a couple Mormon girls. And she's like, uh, do, do you have those notes still on the Mormon religion when we did that? And I said, yeah. And so I have those copies. And so I emailed them to her. So she had them. And she was really equipped to be able to have her conversation with her friends. And she's like, I didn't do a good job when I was in high school keeping track of my notes. And I do now. But... 
And so, but it's just one of those things. It was a reminder to me when she asked me that question. I've been thinking about that. That make sure you guys do that because you guys have an incredible resource that most students your age do not have. Uh, because most churches don't teach you guys the Bible like we do, and that's not bragging, it's just the truth. And we do it that way on purpose. I treat you guys as if you're an adult class. The way that I teach you guys, the content that I teach you, I'm teaching you adult-level stuff, and I do that on purpose. Um, when I had the junior high, I did the same thing. I taught junior high or senior high-level stuff. I'm teaching you guys adult-level stuff, because I think we should always go above and beyond where you're currently at. It will stretch you and it will grow you. Okay, all right, so we are going to be talking about Joshua 13 through 24, and uh, like I said, we're not going to get through all of it, but I just picked out some major points from these chapters that I, we, can't, we can't end this study and not talk about. So we're going to end up talking about these today, starting today, and it will probably carry over into next week. So uh, let's go ahead and read this paragraph. So from Joshua chapter 13 through 24, and this is the big summary of what happens in the rest of the book, Israel subdues the land. They end up dividing out their inheritance. They settle in, and they set up the kingdom under God's rule and authority. All along the way, the enemies of God continue to counter God's plans and purposes, and they will never stop, and they don't ever stop, um, really until Revelation, where God wipes them out once and for all. Salvation, entering into our land and seeing major victories, are only the beginning of our walk with the Lord. We need to heed these final takeaways to stay on guard and on the offensive in the daily spiritual warfare around us. And so I think from the past weeks, um, you know, we're kind of a mixed bag in this room as far as where you guys are at spiritually. And I would say that there, like we've said before, there are some of you that you have some major victories and you're starting to move forward. Some of you have not even gotten one major victory yet. Um, Some of you have not even gotten to the fight yet. And there's probably some of you that aren't even really saved yet. Um, And so we're really all over the place. And so no matter where you're at, I think these remaining chapters are a good Um, kind of thing to look at when it comes to what your life could be and things to keep in mind when you choose to really decide to walk with the Lord. Um, Because these are some principles that you really need to get in your heart and in your mind, uh, especially when you look into the future when it comes to college and your career and who you end up marrying and your life in the future. These are some basic principles that definitely apply today with where you're at, but they most certainly are things that you need to keep in mind for the future as well. So we're going to take a look at those things. All right, so first of all, we're going to look in Joshua 13, verses 1 and 6, and also 14, 6 through 5. And, uh, and so the principle that we're going to hit here is that no matter how old you are or how far you've come, there's always work to do. And the reason why I want to talk about this is that it doesn't matter how successful you are in the future, and it doesn't matter how old you get. Like, even if you get to the point where, like my dad, who's in his early 70s, he is still learning things about himself, how to deal with sin how to be successful in life. Like he does not, and he'll tell you, he'll willingly admit to you that he does not have it down. So just because you get older does not necessarily mean things are going to get easier. There are certain things that he's now settled as far as issues in his life that he doesn't struggle with as much, but that doesn't mean that he's perfect. So as long as you're on this earth and in your fleshly body, you are going to struggle. So I don't know if you really thought about that. I mean, I think it's kind of, you know, common sense, but this is something you really need to understand. Um, So it doesn't matter how far you've come, no matter how old you get, you always just have to have the mindset that there's always work to do. There's always something to do. There's always more that you can give to God. There's always more of your heart, more of your mind, more of your time. There's always more that you can really give to the Lord to worship him properly. And so I want us to take a look at that. So look at Joshua 13 and uh, someone read verse one. I'll have someone else read verse six. Who wants verse one? Verse one, verse six. Who wants to read verse six? No, my friend. All right, verse one. 
Now Joshua was old and stricken in years, and the Lord said unto him, Thou art old and stricken in years, and, they are, and there remaineth yet very much land to be possessed. Okay, so even though they've subdued the land, like the land is theirs, everything that God <coughs> promised them, it's theirs, God says, all right, I know you're old, dude. I know, Joshua, you are super old, and you are well stricken in years. That's a compliment. <laughs> but there's still much land to take. So even though they have possession of the land, there are still enemies that exist that need to be driven out. There's still work to be done. And so until the day you die, or the day the rapture takes place, you always have to have a mind to work. You can never back down. If you become lazy in your Christian walk, what is going to happen? The enemies are going to do what? The enemies are going to look at you like you're looking at me. No, they're not. What are they going to do? They're going to attack. They're going to try to take back the land that you've conquered. And if you're not moving forward, you're moving backward. Like in your Christian walk, you're never in a situation where, all right, things are good. Yeah, I'm really not growing, but I'm... No, 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 no. If you cannot say, I am growing, then you're not growing. You're actually going backward. You've got to understand that. Like, if you come to the point where you're super content with your Christian walk, there's something wrong. There's something majorly wrong. And it's only a matter of time before something major hits. Keep that in mind. You've got to keep that in mind. All right, verse 6. All the inhabitants of the hill country, from Lebanon unto this river, and all of the citizens, then will I drive out them before the children of Israel. Only divide thou it by lot unto the Israelites for an inheritance that I have commanded thee. Okay. So this is where he explains you have all these people that are possessing the land. And, and see, what I love about Joshua is that he is a good leader. And that good leader will give the people vision. He's like, okay, guys, listen. There's these people, there's these people, there's these people. They need to be taken out. Anyone that's a good leader is always giving the people under them good vision about what to do and where to go. And then it's up to the people to do it, right? That's something that you should always be able to count on for me in your own life. And then if you decide to move forward or not, that's completely up to you. And that's why I've given you some goals to accomplish and why we give you guys different activities to invite people to and that we prepare like winter camp and summer camp and these great opportunities for you to grow and for you to invite other people to come. And when we have your visitors come, why we want to be friendly with them and we want to talk with them because we care about them and their soul because it might be an opportunity for us to share the gospel with them. It's those reasons. And so we give you the vision. We give you the opportunity. We want to train you in discipleship. But yet, it's up to you to actually take it and run with it. You have to. But a good leader will always do that. They will always do that. And Joshua does that with them. So even though he's old and he's well-stricken, he's still giving them vision. And then go over to chapter 14. Chapter 14. I love this story. Okay, so who are the two people that were allowed to go into the land from the previous generation? Joshua and Caleb. Okay, now we're going to talk about Caleb. Because God just said, Joshua, you are old, dude. You are well stricken in years, right? Did he not? Okay, so Caleb is around the same age. And we're going to actually see how old he actually is. And Caleb's testimony is absolutely amazing. So look at verse 6. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the king, king, oh my goodness, Kenezite, there we go 
said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thine children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. So how old? Eighty-five. So this guy is... 85 years old, all right? Keep that in mind. 85, verse 12. No, verse 11. As yet, I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now for war, both to go out and to come in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain whereof the Lord spake in that day, for thou heardest in the day how the Anakims were there and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be, the Lord will be with me. Then I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave unto Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, Hebron for an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the, the Kenizzite unto this day, because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel and the name of Hebron before was Kirjath Arba, which Arba was a great man among the Anakims, and the land had rest from war. Okay, 80 flippin' five years old, 85 years old, and he steps in and he says, give me that mountain. I am gonna take it, I'm gonna go up, and I'm gonna cast all the people out. Now, if you study out the Anakims, they were people of war. They were mighty, mighty men, and they were actually... You know, kind of the weird thing was about the Anakims is that they actually had, you know, six fingers, six toes on each hand, each foot. Kind of weird. So they had some genetic defect. But they were feared. They were greatly feared. And think about this for a second. Any of you have any war experience at all? And not digital. Not digital. Okay, all right. But think about this for a second. Even when it comes to, like, paintball, all right, or anything like that, what position do you want? You lay on the ground. You want the high ground. You want the high ground. Why do you want the high ground? Because it's high and... Yes, you have an advantage because you get to see everything around you. You can take people out. Well, this was a mountain, right? And the Anakims were there. And they were people they were not to be messed with. Like, not at all to be messed with. And yet Caleb, I mean, without flinching, without flinching, says give me this mountain give me that mountain it's mine and i will go and i will take it all right so there's a couple of things that we need to talk about just in light of those verses for point number one number one we cannot accomplish the will of god on our own we must make disciples of jesus christ now this refers back to chapter 13 and verse one and also in verse six that you can't do it alone you can't do it alone if they were going to go in and possess the land they needed each other to do it Everybody needed to be exactly on the same page. You have to be able to make disciples. And this is exactly what Jesus did. So thinking about this just for one second, God could have done anything that he wanted to do in order to spread the gospel and to build his spiritual kingdom, correct? Yeah. Okay. 
But yet, what did he choose to do? He chose 12 men that were just ordinary guys, fishermen, some of them, tax collectors, so they were even despised. They weren't part of the religious elite. They were just common guys, and he spent time with them. And what made them different from everybody else is that they were willing to follow and believe what God said and obey. That was the difference. And because they were willing, they were not anything special. They weren't anything extraordinary, except for the fact that they believed God and they obeyed him. God was able to use them to create this entire movement where the gospel was spread and thousands upon thousands and upon thousands of people got saved in Jerusalem. And then word spread throughout human history, and we are here today. Like, that is astounding to me. You always have to have the mindset as a believer that you cannot do it alone. You can't, you can't not do anything alone. You can't. Like, even when it comes to the basic things in your own life to be successful in your Christian walk, you cannot do it alone. And that's hard for some people because there's some people that just might be more socially awkward. And there's some people that might just be too prideful and they just don't want to let people in. And there's some people that, you know, just think that, oh, this, I don't need any of that stuff. And they're just arrogant about it and they don't think they even need God. I mean, there's just a huge span of different personalities and different people and different problems. But you need to understand that you cannot do it alone. If you're alone, you can get just so far. My word. I didn't know they brought in a buffalo. Or a child ended up going through the wall. Um, anyway, where was I? But alone, you'll be able to go only so far. But you're going to need to pour your life into another life. And I mean, isn't it a scary thing to, you know, expose yourself and to really talk about who you are with other people? Like, how many of you are like, yeah, that freaks me out? Anybody? Okay. All right. Everyone else that doesn't have their hands raised, you're completely okay with just completely opening up your life and just letting anyone in and seeing everything that's going on. Okay. So there's risk involved. What's the risk? Tell me the risk. Why do people not want to do that? Until your identity is Okay. Yeah. All right. That's exactly what I wasn't thinking. All right. I can always count on Carson to give me a nonsense answer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that they will find out who you actually are and they will reject you. What else? Yeah, you're embarrassed by your life. What else? Yeah, absolutely vulnerable. Okay, yeah, so they can know your weaknesses and then maybe use it against you. What else? Anybody else? Okay, so those are all the negative reasons behind it. But let me ask you, let me ask you, for those of you that have done that, Because I think here's what we tend to do. We tend to end up putting out this persona and this front of who we want to be and who we want to be known as. But inside, we're somebody completely different. And there's this constant conflict between who you appear to be and who you actually are on the inside. And until you're willing to reconcile those two and to be honest, maybe for the first time in your life, you're never really going to have peace. You're never going to have peace. That has got to happen. And one of the biggest things for me that I've learned, because when my weaknesses have come out and my mistakes have come out, I I am very ashamed of what I've done. But you know who has accepted me and has not rejected me? Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, that is like the most amazing thing that I've ever experienced in my life. 
And so <clears throat> I have something with the Lord that now, if everybody else walks away, inside I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be just fine. And so it makes it easier for me to open up who I am with the people around me, flaws and all, because even if they reject me, it doesn't matter. The creator of the universe has accepted me and I'm in his family and he will never reject me. And then what I find out is that when I am vulnerable with people, you know what happens? They're like, you know what? Me too. Me too. And I've been afraid to talk about it. And we're able to deal with stuff. And I think that's a tactic of your flesh and of the enemy to try to get you to not do the work because we're just not willing to be honest. And so we're called to make disciples. And in 2 Timothy 2, he talks about it being like a war. Well, hey, you know what? In war, war is messy. There are things done in, in battles that people are ashamed of doing. And guess what? They still have to get each other's backs or else they're not going to win. And that's the way it is in the Christian life too. So I love that. I love that. That's something we need to be reminded of. Number two, <clears throat> and this is from Caleb. And I love Caleb. And he says, give me that mountain. Give me that mountain. Grab hold of God's vision for you and get after it. You have a specific part to play. All right. So this is huge. Because once again, you guys are in a situation as high schoolers, soon to be high school graduates for some of you, where people are always trying to make you figure out who you are and who you're supposed to be or what you're supposed to do, right? I mean, that's constant pressure all the time. And if you don't feel it directly, you do feel it indirectly because you start to see some of your friends figure out, okay, well, this is what they're going to do, and they're following that career, and they're going to go and get that degree from that particular college, and that person's already signed with that college, and they're going to be playing sports with them. And then you start to feel like inside you're like, oh, what am I going to do? So then you feel this indirect pressure like you actually have to make a decision and do something to define your life. Okay, here's the reality. What does God want you to do? Like, think big. Think big. Why are you even here? Like, why are you on this planet? Why are you even here? Are you here to get that degree and to get that good job? Like, is that why God put you here? Are you here to play that sport? No. Why are you here? If you're born again, why are you here? Why are you here? To do God's work, which is what? Yeah, to be a part of the salvation of people's souls. And then after they're saved, to, to disciple them. Okay, that is why you're here. Outside of that, why are you here? Like, I mean, a case could be made that you're actually wasting God's air. That's hard to say, but I mean, I'm, I'm serious about it. And this is something that I need to consider in my life as well, because there's certain things that I just can't waste my time with because it's taking up taking up time that actually belongs to God in the first place. He put me here to do something specific. So, you know, I think about this. I think about like, you know, I love the fact that we have, you know, uh, Eddie and Sarah, you know, your mom and dad, they're like, you know what? We're going to go. I mean, for them to make that decision right now, when you're a freshman, it's hard for you to uproot your life and do a halfway across the world is hard to do that and yet they considered the circumstance and they said we have to be obedient to God and God gave us that vision to go and do that I think of Dylan and Sarah Renner they're going to England and I think of Josh and Denise Stewart they did the same thing they completely uprooted their family and took them you know part way across the world to do God's work in another place 
And see, that took, and a lot of people look up to people like that to make those decisions. But you know what? Doing God's work here is just as big of a sacrifice. Because all you're going to do there is the same work that you do here anyway. So just because someone, you know, misplaces or, or, or displaces their family from here and they place their family somewhere else and they do the work there does not make them some sort of a super Christian at all, at all. But when you're willing to sacrifice certain things here in order to do God's work here, in order to affect people's lives, like when was the last time you had the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody? When was the last time that you had an opportunity, maybe, to invite someone to church, but maybe you just didn't? Like these things should be happening on a weekly basis if we have opportunities. In my mind, in, in my heart, and in my life, if I don't have an opportunity to witness, it's because I've not looked for them. I've not looked for them because they're all around me. Lost people are everywhere. I mean, everywhere. And the reason why God put me here was to do that work. Okay, so if that's the case then, then think big. What does God want you to do? Where does he want you to go? So we know that he wants you to do the work, right? And you can do the work through many different things. You can do the work through some of those jobs and careers that you guys are going to pursue. You can do that work through the sports and different activities and different abilities that you have, for sure, for sure. But just as a side note, are you actually doing it? Because that's the key. Like, you might have that skill or that ability, but unless you're actually using it for God's honor and glory, then what's the point? All right. So all that aside, what does God want you to do? Where does he want you to go? Where are the lost people? Tell me right now. Where are the lost people? Everywhere. Everywhere. Okay. Start naming some places. Okay. Maslin. Canton. Jackson. Dalton. 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 Green. Yeah. No, there's no one in green. All right, okay. I go green. Yeah, there you go. Come on, dude. Watch your mouth. Watch your mouth. <laughs> but people are there. All right. So, all right. So, okay, that's just where you're at now, okay? But what do you do? Like, okay, you're not going to go to that school forever, right? So you're in these schools and these communities for this period of time. And so do you have that attitude? Okay, so let me just ask you that question. With wherever you're at, do you have that attitude? God, give me this school. God, give me, give me that friend. God, give me whatever. Like, do you have that mindset? God, I want this so bad. Okay? So there's one example, if that's happening. Number two, if you guys get into a career, God, I want you to direct my life into the career that you want me to go to make the most impact for you. I don't care where it is. I don't care what I'm doing. I want you to guide me into that place. If that means that I go and do something in order to gain skills, so that way in the future, if you'd want me to go and be a missionary, if you want me to go and be uh, maybe the wife of a pastor, or if you want me to go and do this or whatever, God, whatever it is, I don't care what it is, and I don't care how hard the job is, I don't care how much time that it takes to train me up and do it, or even what little time it takes. Whatever it is that would give you the greatest impact with my life, please show me that. Have you prayed that one? That's an attitude of give me this mountain. And then when those things start to unfold, God may give you an opportunity to say, hey, you know what? You have an opportunity to kind of go under the radar and become a missionary in China. Because there's a lot of lost people in China that need to hear the gospel. God, give me that mountain. God may give you an opportunity to join a missionary like Brian Brown in Mexico. God, give me that mountain. Whatever it is, this is what I'm talking about. When was the last time God gave you a vision? 
Or are you busy creating your own vision and convincing yourself that God gave it to you? These are some things you need to think about. This is why we need the book of Joshua. And this is why God threw in Caleb as an example. 80 stinking five years old. God, give me that mountain. You need to think about what's your mountain. What is your mountain? You've got to think about that. That's a big one. That's a big one. All right, go to 1 Corinthians 9. I want you to see this one. And it'll tie right in with this point. So hold your spot in Joshua. And go to 1 Corinthians 9. All right. Paul was a man. He was a give me that mountain man. <laughs> That's not a weird thing like that. But it's totally true. He had that mindset. And look what he said here, okay? All right, so um, so God said in verse 14, he said, Even so hath the Lord ordained uh, that they which preach of the gospel should live after the gospel. But I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things that it should be so done unto me, for it were better for me to die than any man should make my glory void. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. You see that burden? Right there. It's just like Caleb back in Joshua. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. See what he's saying there? Okay, whether I want to do this or not, I have to do this. So, okay, if I do it willingly, I'm going to get a reward. But if I do it and I'm just not really willing to do it, it doesn't matter. A dispensation has been given unto me and I got to do my job. Because there are days that I don't want to do my job. Right? There are days that you don't want to do your job. And so if you do it willingly, you'll be blessed. But you know what? You got to understand even the days where you're not willing, you need to do it anyway because God's he's leaning on you and he's trusting on you to do his work. Verse 18. What is my reward then? Verily that when I preach the gospel... I make the gospel of Christ without charge that I may that I abuse not my power in the gospel. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I may gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak, I became as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. And then he starts to parallel this with an illustration. Verse 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain. So he takes this work and he relates it to a race. Now, and this is not a Laodicean race where everybody gets a trophy because they all participate. Uh, Excuse me. Right? Why did that happen to you? No. Okay. All right. (laughs) Does that happen in Dalton? No. Okay. So picture like the Olympics, right? How many Olympic athletes are there competing just for one event? A lot. A lot. And how many win? One. One. All right? Then you got second place which is first loser. And then you have third place, which is second loser, right? Okay, so he says, 
you have to run that you may obtain. Okay, so this Christian life that God's given you, the path that he's given you is like a race. Do you run in such a way that you are like, forget it, I am winning this thing. I don't care about anybody else. I am going to win this thing. You should. Whatever it is, you want to be the best at it. You should. You should. There should be a competitive spirit with the Holy Spirit in doing your job. Because there's a lot of like, well, I can never be like that. Okay, why not? Why can't you be better? Right? I mean, what's wrong with the perspective? Why are we so lazy in our Christian walk? Why do we do that? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Well, I can never do what Stephen does. How do you know? Do you understand that God might put you in a position that you could do a much better job than I have done? Because I know it's possible. I know it's possible. Because I know me. There's so many things that I could do a much better job in than I'm not. And I know that there's some of you out there that can do a better job than I can. You're just not there yet. You need some time and some maturity and some growth to happen in your life. But how do you know that God does not want to use you to do magnificent things all over the world? And why don't we live that way? I just, I don't get that. Like, I don't, I don't get why we just stay content with where we're at, knowing the mission that God's given us. And yet we don't run the way that Paul just instructed us to run, run that you may obtain. Why run if you don't want to obtain? Like, it might just be better for Christians just to completely bail if they're not actually in it to begin with. (laughs) That's hard again, but it's the truth. Like, there's so many Christians that they're running because well, my parents want me to run. Well, I'm running this race because if I don't, I'm going to look bad in the eyes of my youth pastor. Or I know, okay, forget it. Are you in this thing to win or not? Are you going to run or not? Because if you're not going to run, don't get in the race. And there comes a point that you have to make a decision. Who do you want to be and what do you want to do? Are you going to run or not? Because then he continues. And every man, verse 25, that striveth for the mastery, which is the same thing as being an athlete, is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we, an incorruptible, that's what we're running for. Verse 26, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, he knows what he's running for. So fight I, not as one that beateth the air, he knows what he's fighting and he knows what he's doing, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection lest that by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. So don't be a hypocrite. You should keep your flesh in subjection for the gospel's sake in all areas, in all areas. Not just the things we struggle with, but in all areas. Because the life that God's living you, like, giving you, okay? Now think about this for a second. My number one enemy is my flesh, correct? Is it? Yes, same for you. Your number one enemy that follows you around all the time that you struggle with is your flesh, right? Okay, now, look at it from this perspective. Your flesh is God's vessel for him to be glorified. You have the ability through the power of the Spirit of God to keep this vessel under control so that way God can use it for his honor and glory. Most people don't look at it that way. They're like, oh, my flesh, it's my flesh. Oh, my flesh, my flesh, my flesh. Hold on a second. Your flesh belongs to God. And it is your responsibility through the spirit of God to stay submissive to him and keep your flesh under control so God can use this vessel for his honor and for his glory. 
right? Because exactly what it says. Go to 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6. 19 and 20. Somebody read that. 19 and 20. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. No, you already read. Haley, yeah, go ahead. Okay, verse 20, right there. Glorify God in your body or your flesh and in your spirit, which are God's. See, God has given you this body for you to serve him. And I think there's too many of us that use this body as an excuse to not serve him. So it's a complete shift on your perspective. You got to look at it completely differently. But God has given you a race to run. We'll end in Hebrews 12. Go to Hebrews 12 and we'll end here. Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. 1 and 2. Wherefore, <clears throat> seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. See, you have a race that is set before you. And then according to verse 2, we find out who the person is that made that race, looking into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, Endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. See, Jesus, he had a course. He had a race to run. He ran it, and he was successful. That's two and three. And then according to verse three, you're supposed to consider him and how he ran his race because he has put a race before you that you are supposed to run. And the race that you run is not necessarily the same as the person next to you. Now, there are some similar elements. We're supposed to win people to the Lord, and we're supposed to disciple, for sure. That will always take place in the work of the Lord. But how that unfolds will be completely different. Where that unfolds is going to be completely different. That's completely different because you are not the same as the person next to you. God has equipped you and designed you completely different. And that's why Wednesday night, I want to spend some time, next Wednesday, not this Wednesday because of Thanksgiving, talking about how do you know just based on your personality, how God has gifted you so that way you can get that stuff into action and get to work. All right, so that's point number one. So, we'll see how far we go with that one. Yeah, it might be six months. No, it won't. I really wanted to hit that one because I was reading this, this chapter, these chapters and stuff this past week and Caleb really hit me and I knew that would take a lot more time. But that's the reality behind it. And I think you guys think way too little about God, I think you think way too little about you and your part to play. And I think that you guys think that you can't do certain things when God's like, are you kidding? Just give your life to me and just watch what I'll do. And if you could just grab a hold of that and run with it, it'd be amazing. I can't wait to see that show. So I hope you guys actually do that. All right, somebody pray.
really um, help them feel better. And I know that um, Sickness is just going around right now and really putting the things around things. And um, we just pray that you, um, that we take what we learned today and just run with it. And just continue running with it. And that you call this guy to run the race for you. And we win that mountain. Amen. All right, don't forget this stuff, guys, please. It can make a huge difference. It can change your life forever.